Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. We, uh, we take a lot of things for granted, and I think sometimes we can take worship for granted, and how beautiful it is that uh, we have songs and, uh, and ways to kind of try to express things that are uh, like a mystery. Thanks, guys. Uh, it's so good to be back. For, for those of you maybe uh, here for the first time, my name is Dom. I'm one of the, the pastors here, and I, I was away last weekend uh, sharing with uh, some young adults and some students, and sometimes, uh, you know, one of my roles is to connect with other churches and other uh, communities, but there's nothing like being here at home. Uh, you know, and I often tell people when I'm away, guess what I do? I'm like an old grandparent. I talk about you guys. So people are like, yeah, we know you love your church. Yeah, we know the 180 is amazing. Yeah, we know. Yeah, whatever. I just go on and on. Then people ask me, how is it in Quebec? Is it safe? It's just fine. We're doing just fine. <laughs> Let's, if, if the rockets win, I'll feel better. Okay. Uh, uh, if you're watching online, it's a special welcome to you. And, uh, and we have been kind of in a teaching series that we started last week, uh, kind of that connects to the theme that we sang this morning. Uh, some of you maybe were here last week. You know that last week, Pastor Michael helped us think about what it means that we live in a time where God is doing something new. And, and we called the series Overflow because we think it captures one of the most beautiful doctrines and teachings of the Christian faith. And that's the belief that to be a Christian is to believe that God the Holy Spirit is at work in a special way in our midst. And maybe for you, like, that's a weird idea uh, or it's kind of a new idea Uh, you know, I know a lot of people when I meet them, if I tell them, hey, do you believe in God? They'll be like, yeah, kind of, something out there. And then if you tell them, do you believe in Jesus? They'll say, yeah, I've heard of him. He sounds like a good teacher. And then if you tell them, do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? They're like, stop right there. What, what does that mean? Right? Like the Holy Spirit becomes a part of the Christian faith that is a little bit harder for people to understand and even to believe. And so I want to begin this morning by one, asking you a question to help you start to think maybe more deeply about what it means that we not only believe in the Holy Spirit, but we depend on the Holy Spirit to be the people that God's calling us to be. We depend on God, the Holy Spirit, to fill us, to change us, and to draw us to the ways of Jesus all the time, every single one of us. And so no matter where you are in that journey, I want to just ask you this question to think about something, okay? You know, what's like the, a time in your life when you remember you were trying to change something that you remember it was so difficult to change that thing? Just think of it for yourself, a time in your life when you were trying to change something and you're just like, it's just so hard to change that. Take a minute. Maybe it's like a habit. Maybe it was something that you, know, you knew God was calling you to move from. Maybe it was something good that had done, done its time and you needed something new. You think about change in your life and how many of you'd say change is one of the most challenging things we deal with in our life, right? Trying to deal with change. And if I were to ask you now that you think about your own life, How do people change? What would you say? How do people learn to change? You might not know this, but companies spend millions and millions of dollars every year trying to figure out how to change their employees, how to help them work more effectively, how to be smarter, how to be faster. We live in a world where everybody's wondering about change, how this change happens. I wonder about that in my own life the change that I want to see happen. And then other times I get so frustrated because other people seem to change so quickly. You know when you've seen someone change really, really quickly in your life? When they tell you that they've fallen in love. You, ever, you remember that? You, that was you right away, you remember? You met someone that you love and you're like, you're willing to change. I'll change my haircut. I'll change how, I'll change how I dress. I'll change. Because love has something it does to us that it, it makes us start to change. And if you're a parent and you've seen a son or daughter fall in love, it always kind of frustrates you a bit, right? Because you can't get them to do anything. And they meet this one special person and they're like, all of a sudden, sure, like you're changed. Sure, that's what happens. It's always more frustrating when the change is happening and it's not a positive change, it's a negative change. And then we feel nervous. 
And we wrestle again, well, what has changed me? And how do, we, how do we embrace change and how do we grow? Well, the Bible invites us to understand that there's something about a change that has to happen in us that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to kind of in our minds differentiate between like things that we try to change and things that we have to learn to surrender so God changes them in us. And this is one of the most important ideas in the Bible because it forces us to admit that there's a part of us that can only be changed when we surrender to God's power in our lives. Only when we admit that we need, to, we need God's help, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, right? We need God's help to love in a new way. Because remember, love is the thing that helps us to change. And when we don't learn that, we just try to change something for a little while without changing how we love. Now, the Holy Spirit's primary work in us is when he comes, he overflows in us some deep sense of learning to love God. And from that love, we begin to reflect on how we could change because we love God. When that doesn't happen, change becomes something totally different. And I want to remind you of this, like when we were thinking about it this week, the series called Overflow, I thought about this this week because I think there's times in my life where I experienced change in a very difficult way. Like I know people who change because they're forced to change. Or in church, my experience is I remember experiencing change in a church context where people were meant, they, they were feared into change. Like you're meant to be afraid. And if you don't change, you know. Think about all the ways that sometimes people are, 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 are like pushed into trying to change. All of us experience this in different ways. And after a while, you realize that that kind of change is really just behavior modification. It's just changing for a short time so somebody stops bugging you, right? You know this. I, you see this all the time. I know people I meet, like they just change for a little while, and then when things are kind of, they're back to themselves, they go back to doing what they've always done. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to understand that there's a big difference between behavior modification and real life change. The biblical word for this is the word transformation. That something happens in us by the power of the Spirit that is affected by the fact that we're learning to love God in a new way, and now we are transformed. And when that doesn't happen, the things that overflow in us are not always good things. Like, I would love to say that my life is filled with overflowing things of God. That when you meet me, I'm joyful. When you meet me, I'm loving. When you meet me, I'm always happy. But guess what? I'm not. There's times where you'll meet me and I'll be like frustrated, tired, annoyed, angry, proud. Like all these things in us that we realize there's things that overflow in us that are like, those are not things I think that are connected with God's power in me or God's spirit in me. They still need to change. And Jesus warns us about how easy it is to be people who don't learn about the importance of the Holy Spirit. And so we confuse real change that happens in us with behavior modification. We just modify certain things for a little while. And I want to just show you just one part in the Bible before I tell you something more about the Holy Spirit where Jesus talks about this. He's talking to a bunch of leaders and he's trying to say to them, you know how easy it is to pretend to change and you still love the old things? You know how easy it is to pretend to make it look like things are better when deep inside things are not better because your heart is still longing for the old things? Remember, part of the Holy Spirit's power is to make us love new things that are not part of the old things. And as Jesus is talking about this, he says something that I would say when I read it, you're going to be like, I think I understand that. Like, you're going to feel like, oh, I think I believe that. And when Jesus is talking about this, he's trying to help them understand how easy it is to forget the things that overflow out of us and what they reveal about what we love. This is what Jesus will say. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? So they're talking about how someone becomes unclean. It says this then. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. He goes on then a few verses down. He says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Wow. Jesus is like, you know that if you don't get serious about what's happening on the inside, the things that will overflow are only a reflection of what's really inside. For many of us, that's an important moment in our life where we decide we're going to grow up, where we decide that we're tired of the people we've become. You know, one of the prayers that I have for many of us as we learn to grow, as I prepare my sermons, I pray almost every time I'm working on my sermon that many of you would be tired of living the way you've been living. 
Because if that doesn't happen, all the sermons and YouTube clips in the world are not going to help you. And you know what? It's the job of the Holy Spirit to get us to the place where we realized all the things of the world don't heal the things that we love if we love the wrong things. And once you love the wrong things, the things that flow out of us come from those loves. Make sense? So one of the most beautiful things that Jesus says and one of the most beautiful things we learn in Christianity is the Holy Spirit comes and fills us to teach us to love differently. And by that love, the Holy Spirit teaches us to make the love of God and who Jesus is the center of everything that we are. This is a journey of a lifetime. Okay, so if you're new today, if you're still kind of like, this is, you know, spiritual things are kind of, you're just exploring that, we want to tell you it's okay. Like, because we're all just learning how to do that how to learn to love God in a deeper way and to pay attention that some of the things that overflow in our hearts are sometimes not good things. And there are a, a moment where God says, hey, this here, I have to heal this in you. I have to heal this because if I don't heal this, you'll always be envious. And people who are envious are never happy. And people who are never happy never have enough. And people who never have enough never rest. You see? You want me to keep going? Sooner or later, you're like, what just happened? Well, it's part of an overflow issue that the Holy Spirit comes to deal with because the Holy Spirit's work in us is to help us to change. Over the years, I think one of the most difficult times in my life is I entered a season in my life where I'd been working with people for a long time, been a pastor for a long time, and something started to happen to me that maybe has happened to you, okay? I started to stop believing that people can change. You ever get there in your life? If people hurt you enough, they're annoying enough, you know, they, they're like, you know, you're just trying to help them on and on. And after a while, what starts to creep into your heart is you start to realize maybe, you know what, maybe people just, they don't change. And then we have things that we say about those kinds of people don't change, right? We don't have to say them out loud, but I'm just saying, in, inside. We start to judge them. They deserve what they get. It's one of those things we say. To be a Christian is to have our hearts always softened by the Spirit of God that tells us that with his power, people can always change. Always. Some of you are here and you need to understand that God is at work wanting to help you realize that he can change things, that you on your own cannot change. That the people in your life that you're praying for, the people in your life you care about, the situation you find yourself in, at some point, you need to surrender and say, God, I can't change this. You have to do something else. And every time we start to get to the place where we believe, you know what? Some people never change. Every time we start to believe that lie, we start to lose an essential teaching of the Christian faith, which is what the power of the, of the Holy Spirit is meant to do. So I'm going to encourage you to do something that I always do. I always protect my heart from that. Because whenever I get to the place where I start to believe in my mind that people can never change, it's usually connected to bitterness that's taking place in my heart. A type of bitterness that I've, I'm justified in thinking you're never going to change. You hurt me this much. You did this this much. And some of those things are true, by the way. I'm not saying that, that we justify people hurting other people. But I'm saying to be a Christian is to experience the Holy Spirit's work to say, hey, hey, I changed you and I'm still in the business of changing people. You know what the Bible calls that? Good news. Christianity 101, by the way. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about how easy it is for us to forget that and to equate change, anyone remember the big word? Behavior, what? Modification. Just pretend to change for a little while. You know, over the years as a pastor, I, that's happened to me so many times. I'll meet people and they're, they're a young couple. I've never seen them at church. They want to get married. And they're like, oh, we're so committed to church. Oh, we love it here. I'm like, Really? It's about to get personal. Would you just wait? And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, are you, this, you're new to the church? Yeah. And we're, we love, we're in love. I'm like, I can tell. The eyes, I can tell. Love here. Right? We love to get married. I'm like, well, I, I do weddings. I officiate weddings. Have you ever heard of that? And after a while, I do their wedding, and guess what? They don't show up anymore. Do I have the right to be bitter, by the way? Do I have the right to be angry? Did they lie to me? Right? No, no, they didn't do any of those things. They confused change with behavior modification. They thought if we just do this for a little while, it'll be enough, right? I'm like, not really. Because behavior modification is a temporary sign of just getting people off your back. The Holy Spirit comes to do deep transformation in us. It sometimes begins as a small behavior modification, 
but it can't stay there. It can't just be like, this is fine. This is a, a decision to say, God, I need you to teach me to love you in a new way, or I'll just be okay with behavior modification. There's a person in the Bible that thought they could just do behavior modification. And this morning, I'm gonna talk to you about this person by telling you about why this Sunday morning is often considered a special Sunday for Christians around the world. Some of our leaders, I asked them a question earlier and I asked them, do you know what Sunday this is called? And some of them knew, some of you might know. This is often known for Christians around the world as Pentecost Sunday. How many of you have heard that word before? Pentecost Sunday. Some of you? Some of you are like, no, that's kind of weird. Okay, I'll explain it. Actually, if you read your Bible, there's a season in the life of the church where the Holy Spirit comes in such a powerful way and people's lives are transformed. They're changed forever and God starts to move in a new way. And I want to teach you about that in a special way. And if you grew up maybe, have you ever heard of a Pentecostal church? Well, they get their name from that Pentecost Sunday idea, okay? And in the Bible, one of the things you need to understand is that there's one person who we always think about when we think about someone who could see God at work, experience God's power in their lives, and think they could pull a behavior modification on Jesus. And his name is Judas. Judas is a person in the Bible that was with Jesus and saw Jesus do the most amazing things. He even kind of was with the disciples and was at communion. And Judas was this important person who all of us are always given a warning about how easy it is to think that you could just pretend to be religious, pretend to be interested in the things of God, pretend to even come to church and care. Not that anyone does that here. But I mean, all those things. And then Judas, at one point, reveals that heart change had never really happened. The power of God had never really transformed him. He had modified enough of his, the way he lived, but the Spirit of God had not transformed him. And in the story of Christianity, one of the most important things I have to tell you, and you, I never heard this in my life, so it took me a long time to understand it, is Judas is going to what in the Bible? Anyone know? He's going to betray Jesus. And then he's going to die. And one of the things that we learn about in the Bible is that when the earliest Christians sense that God is about to do something new, they do something that nobody expects. And if you're taking notes this morning, I really need you to write this down. If you care about remembering, maybe you have a great memory and you don't need this, but if, if you don't, uh, I, I need you to write this down. I need you to, to remember two numbers, okay? I need you to remember that they were 12 and then they were 11. Can everybody say that? They were, and then they were? Okay, some of you, half of you got it, half of you are still asleep, okay. They were, and then they were? They were 11. Jesus called 12 apostles, and now Judas is gone, and they are 11. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, at the beginning of the Holy Spirit coming in a powerful way, they realized we can't just stay 11. We have to be what again? 12. You need to write this down somewhere in your Bible, okay? Because it's so easy to miss, and I grew up for many, many years, and I never wrote it down, and I never understood it. I never understood why it was such a big deal that they needed to be 12. In your Bible, in Acts chapter 1, one of the most important things that the disciples do is they realize, guys, I'm counting, and there's only how many of us here? 11. And we have to be? We have to be 12. How many of you would say, no, we don't? 11 is fine. How many of you? I would. Yeah, some of you are good. You know what I would have said? I would have been like, if the Holy Spirit's with us, who cares? We can be three. Right? Or two. Anyone? Because I'm like, well, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to pick? Can't we just stay 11? And they're like, no, this is what we're told happens in the Bible really quickly. May another take his place of leadership, says Peter. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. This is one of the most important moments in the life of the church before the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. And I need to tell you this, because if you don't understand this, if you've learned about Pentecost without learning about this, you know nothing about Pentecost, okay? I, I know, some of you are like, I'm offended at the shirt, whatever, so it's fine. They were 11, and now they need to be 12. 12 in the story of Israel has to do with 12 as a reflection of the people of God. All the way in the, in the Old Testament, when God called his people together, he took 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes were called what? Anybody know? They were called Israel. 
Israel is the name of the 12 tribes, okay? Like all of them together. Now, all the tribes have different names, but they're together, they're called Israel. And another word for this is they're called the people of God, okay? Simple so far? So when they realize that they're 11, they realize if God's gonna do something new again, he's gonna do something new by healing his people, and we need to remind everybody that we are still 12 together. That we are still those that God has brought together, connected to the story of Israel. So being 11 is not just like, well, just be 11, it's fine. It's such a strange thing to have this right here. We have this moment where they realize that the person we're gonna pick is gonna be a leader who's been with us. A leader who's walked with us. A leader who's seen the things that we've seen. You can put the slide back up just so you can see it. And I just highlighted some of the things. Someone who's with us, among us, a witness with us. Pastor Michael did an amazing job last week at talking about the word witness. At the beginning of the story of Pentecost, there's a moment that they are 11 and now they must be 12. And guess what they do? They pick someone named Matthias who becomes the 12th one with them. This is an important moment to understand what's about to happen next in the Bible. Because what's about to happen next is a wonderful celebration called Pentecost, okay? And for us, it's very strange to think about this because we can just think about it and talk about it and I'm gonna explain it in a very simple way. Here it is. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Maybe I'll get a, uh, Will, I'll get a tissue if we can get one. Okay, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let me tell you an honest story, okay? When I was 13 years old, my parents went to a church, and on the front of the church, it said Pentecostal church. Okay? I've never forgiven them for that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. It's a, it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> They're here. They know I'm kidding. Okay. And, and for the longest time for me, Pentecost meant the name of a church. So maybe for you, you think of that, like you live near a church called Pentecostal Church or something, right? For a long time, I never understood the tension between Pentecostal for a name of a place and what the Bible says as what is Pentecost. Yeah, um, cool, thanks, Andy. Uh, for Pentecost. So I want to explain something to you that kind of will put us all kind of on the same page, is that Pentecost is a festival that has to do with a party. Now, you know, when you go, uh, grow up in a Pentecostal church, you rarely don't connect Pentecostal parties. You know why? Anyone? Some of you know. Okay. <laughs> the, the, we never get it because dancing is not good and drinking is not good and clapping is not good. Smiling is not good. So the, you, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, all my Pentecostal friends who are listening, I love you. I'm kidding. Okay. I have a lot of friends. I went to Pentecostal school, so I know this, right? I can make jokes. I'm making jokes. But from this day on, I want you to remember every time you hear the word Pentecost, I want you to hear in your head, a party. You need to know this to understand that the Holy Spirit comes to celebrate that God is starting something brand new. And you know what that's called? A party. That's a wonderful celebration that God is doing something new. And the idea of Pentecost comes in a moment where the people are in Jerusalem. You go to the slide again, just so you can see it, okay? If you're taking notes, you, you need to remember this, okay? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That one place is called Jerusalem, okay? They're not just all together like in a house, in a warehouse, in the park. They're in Jerusalem. You need to know this. Listen how great it is that the kids are having a party. Yes. Okay. They're in Jerusalem because Pentecost, the great celebration of the people of God, happened in Jerusalem. So to help you understand Pentecost, remember, like try not to think of just the name on the sign of a building. Think of a celebration, like a party, okay? Had very important things connected to it. And everybody in the Bible knows this already. So when we read the Bible, it's hard for us because we're like, I don't, think I, I don't think I knew that. Or I don't think I remembered that. Or I'm not sure why Pentecost even matters, Okay? Now, you know this because you're learning and you're growing. They were 11, now they're, and now the 12 who are the people of Israel are in Jerusalem, and they're about to have a, let's go home. There we go. There we go. There we go, friends. See, so now you have the whole picture. Get it? So far, so good. So let me give you three simple factors. They're indicators that made Pentecost so special. It was like so amazing. 
One, you'll see them on the slide. Okay, these are three important things. One, it was a pilgrimage feast to Jerusalem, meaning you had to pack your kids and your goat and your dog and whatever, and you had to go to a place. Israel has three of these important feasts. They're not just feasts that you could do locally with your friends. You actually have to go to a place called Jerusalem. Okay, so it's one of those feasts. Passover is another one of those. One, it's a celebration of God when he frees his people from Egypt in the desert, and they're like, we don't even know how to be the people of God. We don't don't even know how to be the what? The 12, okay? We don't know how to be a family. We're just like tribes. We're just 12 tribes. We're better than you, and you're better than God's like, no, 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 no. You're not 12 tribes. You're 12 tribes who are called what? Israel. God's like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you my law to teach you how to be my people together. Not just individual tribes, but together as my people. Get it? Pentecost was the great celebration that God had given them the law. And the last thing is that Pentecost was a celebration that not only did God free them from Egypt, he had started to bless them. And he had started to provide for them. And they had started to grow. They were getting along. They were, they were being what? The 12 as the people of God, right? And then they were starting to experience God's blessing. Crops, grapes, honey, water, their kids. All these things that we take for granted, by the way. We're like, oh, of course, I'll just go to Maxi, whatever. Or wherever you shop. No, no, they're like, no, God is providing all of these things. They were getting a taste of what it means to be the people of a God who overflows in generosity. Loves them more than they can ever imagine. Gives to them more than they can ever use. All of these things, okay? This is the great party of Pentecost. And as part of this party, what ends up happening is you need to remember that God tells them, after I've blessed you, after you've experienced this overflowing blessing of knowing that I love you, I need you to kind of bring some of that back to me. That's what God's going to say. It's profound. The book of Leviticus says this, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which by the way is Pentecost, okay? And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah, of the finest flour, baked with yeast, a wave of offering of first fruits to the Lord, and you go on and on and on and read all the things that God says to bring. How many of you would say like you're a good cook? Some of you? Nobody, okay? How many of you say like you, might, you like to make things and you wanna have other people try them? You wanna bless them. You wanna say, here, God's provided. Let's share in this together. This was so important for the people to practice giving back and sacrificing what God had blessed them with. Every time they remembered this, they celebrated Pentecost. It was a marker for them that was different than just every other day. It was like a special marker, right? They had these important festivals and Pentecost is one of those festivals. You see how different it is than just kind of the name of a building? Now, by the way, that's fine. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's so much bigger than that. What's a good word? Pentecost is a party. Pentecost is a party of God's provision, and that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises, and he would provide for the people. I think of us living in our world today, how important it is for us to have markers in our own lives where God does something special in our lives, where God calls us to a particular time, and our culture kind of does this in a weird way. For example, how many of you celebrate a wedding anniversary in the summer? Wedding anniversary, people, summertime, like my social media stuff, it's like, oh, 12 years ago I married my best friend whatever. Now I don't like them anymore. Whatever. We have markers. Once I tried this with my wife, like it was our wedding anniversary in the fall. And I said to her, hon, every day is like a wedding anniversary when you're married to me. She didn't laugh. She didn't laugh at all. What does that mean? It means that I love her every single day, but it's important to have a marker in when we took that step. It's still important to have that. And if you don't believe me, just stop celebrating like your birthday. Stop celebrating every anniversary you have. Stop celebrating when your kids were born. Stop doing any of that. No, we do that because it's a marker of a moment where everything changed. Pentecost is going to be a moment where the people say, everything changed this day. God started to do something, and they're expecting for God to do all these things. They're in Jerusalem. They're all in one place in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us, while they're sitting down, quietly praying, waiting for God to do something, realizing that God always loves to bless his people. 
and remind them that they're his people, not just 11, they're 12 together, right? The Bible says that they hear something, not just kids. A wind, something that sounds like a, a wind, like a sudden moving of the wind of God. But some translations of your Bible say it sounded like a violent blowing wind, right? And without any expectation, the surprise that nobody expects, and here it is. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that you know what Pentecost is, do you see how important it is that this moment is a marker of where God is calling his people to be his people in a brand new way now? That he's saying to them, there was 11 and then there was 12, but now you 12 are about to invite a whole group of other people to be part of the family of God. Because what happens next in the story is so important, okay? I'm gonna say this, this is, I struggled with this all week. It's so important that next week will be part two of this message. Next week will be a chance to unpack what is happening when people like are speaking in other tongues. Like, what does that even mean that they're speaking in other tongues? For so long, I think not only do we equate Pentecost with like some church or an idea or a bad experience, or we, we kind of go through it very, very quickly. We're like, oh, Pentecost. It's like, I don't know. It seems like it's important. Somebody should care about it that we don't take time to say, no, what does the Bible actually teach about what's happening here? Now, for some of you, coming to church for two Sundays in a row feels like it's really stressful. I'm gonna pray that the Holy Spirit reminds you of how important it is to remember to just set aside a time to be like, we are people, you've called us together and your spirit is at work in a powerful way. And we want to we wanna know what this filling means for us. Because some of you know this. This filling of God's spirit is something that others are invited to also say, God, we want you to fill us the way you filled them. We want you to do in us what you were doing in them. And maybe you're not sure what that means. And we can easily kind of just rush this and go on and uh, you have stuff to do. And The good news is next week's a potluck, so if you come, we'll feed you. Pentecost is a party. A party that will take months, if not years, for these earliest followers of Jesus to begin to understand that a new people is starting to be stirred by God. A new people that were not originally just part of the 12, but now we're part of other nations and other groups of people who are said, hey, you're now part of us. You can be part of what God's doing here. You should come and see what it looks like when the Spirit fills you and changes you from the inside out. One of the first things that we're going to learn about next week is how the people who see this say it's impossible that these people have changed like this. They speak in different languages. How is that even possible? This makes no sense. That there's something about the power of God that changes us and other people recognize that. You know why it's so important that you're here next week to learn this? Because you have to understand what the Spirit does in order for you to know when you grieve the Holy Spirit. So many of us don't realize that the way we live grieves the power of God and we don't care because we don't even know what the power of God is about. So I'm asking you, just prioritize saying, I really want to know what this means. Because we want to be people who are filled with the power of the Spirit so what overflows in us points to the ways of God. And if we're not careful, we become those who put up with behavior modification where things change for a little bit, but our hearts are still not God's. We're gonna just sing a song and I'm gonna come down to the floor and I'm gonna invite you to ask you to just say, God, there's some deep work that only you can do in my life. And I, I never come to this table and celebrate communion. I've never have, like think about this without thinking about Judas that it's going to be very easy for us to just come and to go through some ritual or some, you got to do this. And so we always say this, if you're not ready, don't come. 
If you're not at a place where you realize, you know, I'm growing and I'm understanding what this is about and I want to take that step, we encourage you to just be here and you're so welcome and we're so happy that you're here. But it might be a good decision to say, just not ready for this next step. There's no shame, there's no judgment, there's nothing. But let's all agree that behavior modification is never going to be enough. If we are people who want the power of Pentecost to be at work in our lives. Let me just pray for us before we sing this song. Jesus, you were right. You were right again. You told your followers that you would send, that the Spirit would be sent, that God the Father would send the Spirit and that you would begin to do something powerful with those who were tired of just behavior modification, but who had surrendered their lives to you, that a new filling of your power was taking place. We need that today. We need a move of your spirit in our midst. That's not just about the name on a building, a denomination, the things we've heard, but it's about how you enter the lives of your people and stir this new awareness that they are experiencing your overflowing generosity. We want that for our time. We want that for our church and for our communities and for our families. So Holy Spirit, would you just help us now as we think about the importance of coming to celebrate around this table of getting honest about the things that we need you to change and for that we repent and ask you to do something deep in us so help us to prepare ourselves as we come in Jesus name We mentioned it earlier how special it is to be back together and to kind of do this together. And I think about how important it is that we're celebrating communion on Pentecost Sunday. One of the great things the Holy Spirit will do is he will remind us of everything that Jesus taught us. And Jesus said, do this in a special remembrance of the things I've done for you. As a special marker of what this means now that you belong to me and that you're part of a new kind of family. And so this morning, we're going to invite you to come up. And some of you know this. You know, we invite you to come up and grab just one of these wafers and cups and take it back with you to your seat. And just take a minute. Just think about the things. 
that God is stirring by His Spirit. The things that are ready to overflow out of you, that are things that only God can do. And to say, God, help me if I'm not paying attention to those things, if I'm not aware of those things. And if you come up this morning because you just sense the Spirit of God doing this in you, and you're not baptized, we're going to encourage you to think about what it means to be baptized. Because as you remember, Jesus comes to baptize us with the power of the Spirit. And so baptism is an important part of this that we help you and guide you towards. So before I pray, I'm going to encourage you, we're going to just come in sections. So this section will be first. We have our host team that's just going to guide you along. As you come up, just maybe just take a minute and just say, God, you're at work in a powerful way. And again, if you're not comfortable or you're not ready or you're not sure about what this means yet, there's no pressure to do this. Let's just pray. God, would you uh, draw us to this table? Draw us with hearts who long to be transformed. Draw us to a place with a warning of how easy we fall for behavior modification. Draw us to this place as a preparation for the party of your provision in our lives. As we come now, Holy Spirit, do something deep in us and stir new loves in us that point us to Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in his name. Just come as you feel led.
I don't think I've ever done this before, but uh, before we take communion together, I want to show you a picture. And I, in the picture, I want you to picture yourself being in this picture. You can go to the slide. This is a, a church community located somewhere in India, if I'm not mistaken, and it was sent to us by uh, our family of churches are part of a global movement of churches. And uh, it says Jaffrey Project up there, and it's part of our giving, how we give and support churches around the world. And I think it's so important for us when we take communion, if we really want to understand what Pentecost is about, is for you to envision that you're taking communion sitting on the floor in that church. How uncomfortable do you think it would be? How long do you think it would take till you start to complain that it's too hot? What kind of smells do you think you'd smell? Because when we take communion, it's not just us having a spiritual experience with some God somewhere. It's us being drawn to Jesus our Lord. And the Spirit reminds us that there's a new family that God is drawing together. And that's not just this family. It's the global family of Christians around the world. And let me just tell you, many of those Christians around the world are so filled with the Holy Spirit that they're coming here to plant churches in Quebec. Filled with the Spirit. Unstoppable. All their challenges, all their hiccups, all the things we would complain about, they're like out of the way. Today, when we take communion, can we just imagine that we're sitting on the floor with them and saying, we want, we want this too. We've been blessed by living in North America, of having all of our programs, of having all of our neat church, and don't to, not to be inconvenienced. Pentecost has come, and the Spirit is about to inconvenience everybody. You'll be here next week, right? with our brothers and sisters around the world. We think of what it was like on the night when Jesus was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread, the wafer, together this morning. sitting on the floor and in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his 12 and the people and the new people of God an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take it together. Hey, no matter where you're at this morning, no matter what question you might have, Jesus invites each of us to take just one step to move closer to understand him, just a little bit more. And that's done because of the power of the Spirit drawing us. So if you're here this morning and you weren't ready for communion, maybe you're watching online and this is kind of a new experience, you're even just scared to come visit us at the church. We want to remind you that it's a safe place for us to grow and to learn and to take that next step. And so we're going to invite you, no matter where you're at, to know and to understand that that means you're becoming part of a new family, a new group of people following Jesus together. Let's just stand before we close.
Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Break stubborn hearts. Help us with our doubts. Help us to trust you more. Remind us of our brothers and sisters around the world who every day are sacrificing for the sake of you, Jesus. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Help us to long for the power of Pentecost. Teach us to love you and to desire a deep transformation. As we go, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that we belong to Jesus our Lord, that we do not live for ourselves any longer, but we have been crucified with Christ. And for any one of us in this room who is not ready for that, Holy Spirit, would you come and make it clear that there are no options would you remind us that there's new life when we trust Jesus in this way? And would you help us to live that way so that our kids and our coworkers and our friends would see that something new is being transformed in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless everyone. Thanks for doing this. Hey, we're going to see you soon. Potluck, Bible study this week. If you need to talk to anyone or pray, we are here. Don't have to rush off. We love you. See you soon.